just entering into that worship time. It was such a good time to just focus on the Lord um, and, um, and just rejoice in Him. It's been a busy week, and uh, even though a lot, a lot of things, for many of you, you're, you're kind of stuck at home and not much to do and um, watching way too much TV and much, much, way too much news and, and uh, getting to the store too often because it's the only place to go and... <laughs> But listen, God is uh, God has some good things for us today. We're we're gonna take a look at some wonderful, um, encouraging words. I think um, prophetic. I believe that God has something for us that is the Holy Spirit anointed uh, word of God. And so let's pray. Let's ask for God's help. And Lord, we thank you that we get to share your word and. Open your word. I pray for your help, Lord, that you anoint me as I share. Anoint all of our ears to hear what you would say to us, Lord. Um, reveal those things in the word that, Lord, we would never be able to get on our own. Just in our natural, we would never catch it. But, Lord, you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, can speak truth into our hearts. And I pray that you do that uh, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, before we get started, I want to make sure to mention that um, we, um, we have a ministry really trying to help uh, those who are in need and can't get help and need resources or food and so forth. And, uh, and so this last week, um, about 25 people um, had uh, requested help in our church. And if you have needs, just go to our website and uh, from there you can, you can email us. And let us know um, what your needs are and so forth, and we'll connect with you. Um, we've been doing we've been doing this uh, ministry just started, and uh, and God has been really blessing people, and we want to help in any way we can. Okay, so just let us know. Um, we I want to talk to you about the power, um, the power of what God can do when everything is closing in on you. Power, God's power. That can come when everything's closing in on you. Some of you are feeling that way, right? I mean, I did this week. Um, I was at the house, and I always have more work to do. I can always, you know, I can always get on my computer and write and and do things. But just it was just getting to me, and like just getting out. And Carol and I will take a stroll, do uh, actually a walk. Carol never strolls, but a walk through our neighborhood. And uh, I, I I I was going through the neighborhood and thinking. How many times do I go through this neighborhood? I'm, I know every, I know every house, uh, you know every flower in every flower bed, and it was kind of like you're starting to feel closed in on. Well, there's another kind of closed in too, and that is when you feel like the enemy is closing in on you, and uh, and I I think that many of us are feeling that way too. That that d there seems like um, things are closing in on you, and and uh, there's just a lot of pressure in people's lives, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And uh, and I want to I want to share with you from God's word what to do when things are closing in on you. And I I, I want to take you to um, Exodus chapter fourteen is where we're going to be, and uh, and I want you to take a look at this portion of scripture that tells us really this this story. Um, the background is one of the most familiar portions of scripture where. God freed the children of Israel from Egypt and, uh, and freed them using ten plagues that 
are, they're called plagues. Not all of them were plagues, but they're called ten, the ten plagues that caused um, Egypt to give up uh, their slaves, the, the Jewish people. And, uh, and so uh, after the tenth one, and where, where the firstborn um, of the Egyptians uh, died, and Israel was set free from that, the Jews were set free, and God set, set them uh, on this journey, and he's, their journey is to the promised land. And, um, and so we pick up that story now as they're leaving in chapter 14 and verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and, uh, and camp before Piharabath. I'm not speaking in tongues. That's just trying to pronounce that word. Between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Shaphan, you shall camp before it by the sea. Now, where God took them is really, um, people must have been thinking, wait, this is a mistake. Um, why are we going here? Because where they headed was down this valley, and there's mountains or hills on both sides, and as they're going in, they end up at the sea. And so there's no place for them to go. And the Egyptian army is going to be coming down that same valley. So they're trapped. They can't go up the mountainside, and they can't go through the sea, and they're trapped. So the, the wonder is, uh, why has God sent them to a place to be entrapped? But what they didn't know was God is setting a trap. Not for them, for the enemy. God is setting a trap for the enemy. And I want you to know, I want you to think, I, I, I hope... I'm hoping that our thinking will change. That these things that feel like we've been set in a trap, we're in a place that, of, uh, of enclosing and everything is closing in, that the fact is God is setting a trap. He is setting a trap for the enemy. See, the enemy always overplays his hand. And when he overplays his hand, it's God has set an entrapment on him, and he knows how he operates. He knows what Satan's going to do. And Satan can't seem to remember, you know, the things of the past, um, and uh, he, he just keeps falling into the same trap. I mean, over and over again through the scriptures, you see this principle happening. In fact, the biggest one, of course, was the crucifixion. When Jesus died on the cross, remember... The enemy thought that, that they had won. The Bible says, says it this way. If the principalities and powers and rulers would have known. If they would have known. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified him. But they overplayed their hand, right? Satan had, had strategized. He thought he had won. He overplayed his hand. But he, didn't, he wasn't aware that it was an entrapment. He was the one trapped. He was the one trapped, and the resurrection proved that on the third day, you know, all you could hear the the fear and the and the crying out of the kingdom of darkness when Jesus rose from the dead, because all of a sudden they had lost everything, and it will only be a matter of time until eternity they will have an eternal uh, justice put upon them, but they knew that the death nail was you know it, it was done. The final nail in the coffin for them happened on Resurrection Day. See, they overplayed, he overplayed his hand. I believe right now 
that this, that's what's going on. That the enemy thinks he's winning a battle, but the fact is God has set an entrapment. In fact, I think it's too late. I think Satan started this, and now he is starting to recognize already that, that um, it was an entrapment. And I'll explain that to you a little bit later on, a little bit more. But there was an entrapment by the enemy. And you need to think how, what God is doing. God is didn't, God's not absent from all this. God is always orchestrating things. And so God must be um, um, working at this point in the children of Israel don't understand that. They, they, they're going to at first wonder what in the world's going on. The, the scripture says in verse 3, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, um, they, they are bewildered by the land and the wilderness has, has closed them in. So God God says to Moses, Pharaoh's going to think that the children of Israel um, are bewildered. Like they, they're confused. They're in the wilderness. It's closing in on them. And that, then God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And, and they did so. So. They ended up in this place, and God is working to, to, uh, to, to take care of his children and to protect them, but he's also working to make sure that the whole world knows that he is the God of Israel. Now, it's interesting because the, the scripture talks about, goes on and says that the, the king of Egypt, um, that he, he wondered what was going on, and why did they let... Why did they let the people go? He forgot about the ten plagues. I mean, he's you know he's now going. Why did we let them go? You know, after all of this, and in spite of all the hardship that came upon them because they rebelled against God and wouldn't let the people go, now his heart is hardened, and he has been hardened, and God is even hardening hardening his heart more, and he wants retribution. He's going to go after the the Israelites, and there's this little phrase there in the text, and it says. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. Now, the, the, the Egyptians, um, when, when everything was going, the, in fact, many of them actually gave, some, many of the Egyptians gave some of their resources to the children of Israel as they went out to go worship. And, um, and, and now that as the children of Israel have, are leaving, they, they're leaving in victory, right? They, the, there's been these 10 plagues, Egypt is kind of decimated, and God is protecting them and blessing them. Many of those plagues didn't even happen in the land of Goshen where they were. It happened to all those, you know, around. And they could see God's hand in all this. And so they kind of have their shoulders back and their heads up, and they're leaving with kind of boldness as they're leaving the land. In fact, the, the Hebrew word there uh, actually means um, uh, rebellion against authority as well as just pure boldness. So there's a rebellion that is in their heart against authority. Listen, there's a good time to have rebellion and a bad time because there, th it was good for them to have rebellion against Pharaoh because he was keeping them from worshiping the true and living God. It was bad when their rebellion went against God. And so th there's this stubbornness 
against the enemy that they have, and that's a good quality. You and I need to have that. We need to have a stubbornness. When the enemy comes and throws lies at you and and attacks you and brings his his uh, tactics of fear and uh, and and uh, you know threats against us, uh, and it can be in so many different ways. He can throw threats against the promises of God in our life, threats against our future, and so forth. That when he throws those threats against us, we need kind of a stubbornness about us. I'm not giving in. I'm not. I'm not settling. I'm not. I'm not buying it. I'm not going your way. I'm standing with the word of God, and I'm going to stand strong against the wiles and the lies and deception of the devil. Have that boldness in us. But So then verse, verse 10 says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So when they saw the Egyptians come in their boldness, well, it turned into meekness. It turned into weakness. It turned into fear. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, they're, they're looking at the wrong thing. They're looking at their enemy, and they're staring at the enemy and seeing what, where, you know, what is coming their way. And, and that's a question I think we have to ask. How long are we going to glance at our problems? How long are we going to keep looking at the potential problems? You know, we... we, we, we uh, you know, the anxiety that, that so much of the world is facing right now isn't, you know, it's not that there's something at our doorstep, but we're looking as if it's right at our doorstep. We're looking as if it's right here, and we're, you know, we're in the middle of everything that's going on. Every kind of worst-case scenario is facing people, and we look down, you know, that narrow um, valley, and we're looking at the enemy, and we keep staring at it, and the more you stare at it, the more it's going to bring uh, you know, defeat in your heart and mind before you get go anywhere. So the scripture says, so they were afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, they did the right thing. When they were afraid, they saw the, the, the enemy coming, they were afraid. And when they were afraid, they did that one thing. They cried out to the Lord. That is, That was the right choice. When you and I face those difficult challenges in our life and we look at the things that would cause us to be fearful and anxious we need to we need to to, to stop and we need to worship the lord we need to we need to pray we need to call out to god we need to cry out to the lord if our hearts are broken we cry out to god that's where we go so they made the right choice but then they go from the right choice to the wrong choice they they make the wrong choice and the wrong choice is, is uh, there in verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because you were, you, you, uh, there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? So what kind of thinking is that? So, you know, Moses does all these miracles you know, God does through Moses in Egypt, and he did all those miracles so that God could bring them out and kill them in the wilderness? That's not logical. God could have killed them in Goshen. He didn't have to wait to get them into the wilderness. He could have killed them then. That, there's no logic in that kind of, you know, thinking. But fear is unreasonable. Fear is not logical. And when we, when we become overwhelmed with fear... 
the problem that happens is that we start making illogical decisions in our fear. We start, it, it torments us and it start, starts to grow if it's not checked. In verse 12 it says, Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. <clears throat> now, um, this, is, this is the response of slaves. I, I'm talking about people who have a slave mentality. Hear, hear what they're saying. You know, when we think about it, it really wasn't that bad to be slaves. I mean, I know they beat us and whipped us and, and you know, caused us, forced us into terrible labor situations. But, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. We, we have, you know, we, we had food on the table and we had a roof over our head and, you know, we had security. But, you know, now it's unpredictable. Now we don't know what we have. And we don't have a roof over our head. And we don't have the assurance of food on the table tomorrow. And somebody's trying to kill us. See, when you have a slave mentality, it really doesn't matter the circumstances. You always go back to a slave lifestyle. You always go back to a slave lifestyle. Because you don't know who you really are. And that's what the children of Israel have Fail. They, they really don't recognize who they are. Th th these are God's people. He's purposely planned them. He has a, he has a, a, a home for them. He has a, a land for them that flows with milk and honey. He's taking them to blessing and, and so much more. But they still have this slave mentality. And, and they are supposed to be learning how to trust the God who just delivered them from Egypt. But instead, they're just overwhelmed. And they have stopped looking upward, and they keep looking down that valley. And somewhere along the line, that's got to change. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Now, saying don't be afraid doesn't work for long. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. I mean, when someone's afraid and you go, don't be afraid, it's kind of like, you know, like, really, right. But... Sometimes people will stop. And, and I think what Moses is trying to do right here is he's trying to keep them and bring them to a place that they'll stop. And because the next thing he says, do not be afraid, stand still. Well, why? Why am I standing still? Well, because the natural response is to run, right? The natural response is I'm going to run, you know, we got to get out of here. We're going to go run up uh, the, the, the mountain. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to do something on my own with my own power. But there's no, nothing you can do. Am I going to fight the Egyptians? They have all the resources. They're the ones with 600 chariots, which was, you know, the, you can't, in that time, that was, that, that was um, you know, tomahawk missiles. I mean, it, you just cannot do it. You can't fight them. Directed. So what are you going to do? You're going to try to swim across the ocean? You can't do that. So no matter what the the problem is that you know that what they're facing, they're facing something that is much worse than they have any human power for, and they cannot overcome it. And so 
Moses says, stand still. What is he saying? Well, he's telling them that they are to don't do what your first response is. I want you to refocus. Stop. Stop. Refocus. Stop looking down the valley and start looking up. Refocus. Get your eyes on, on God. And that's the first thing. Listen, when things are pressing in a, around you, stop and stop looking at the problem first. Stop the natural response. Don't react. The first thing you do is you refocus. And then he says, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see uh, again no more forever. So those, that, that enemy is going to be gone. He said, I want you to see. I want you to see what you can't see yet. Now, you, if you stop, you're going to see it. But let me tell you, I want you to see what you're going to see before you see it. I know that might sound confusing. But I want you to see the enemy gone. I want you to see the enemy defeated. I want you to imagine the end result of this thing before it even gets goes any further. See, because if you don't, you're going to be running. If you don't, you're going to make the wrong decision. If you don't, you're going to be paralyzed with fear. If you don't, you're not going to see God in all of this. And God, God has a big, bigger plan. God has a trap he has set. I want you to see what God is doing. He has set a trap. So the question is for you and me is what do you see? I mean, are you seeing the problem? Is what's glaring at you? Are you just focusing down that narrow, that narrow valley to your enemy? Or are you seeing the victory in advance? Because that's what God wants to do. He wants you to see the victory in advance. Stop looking at the problem. In verse 14 it says, The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now get this. This is, what Moses is giving them is a word from God. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. He is, this is a prophetic word from Moses to them. This is the word of God coming to them. And how they respond is crucial. It's crucial. They're, because God has a bigger plan. This entrapment for the enemy is, is God is using this to entrap the enemy. But he's also using this to teach and disciple the children of Israel. Because if they get it right, they can get into promised land. And so God is helping them to, to look at things a different way. I want you to envision the end result. They're going to face some giants down the road that are worse than the, the, than the, the, the armies of Egypt, and they're going to have to, them, at that point too, they've got to be able to look beyond in faith. And if they don't, well, you see what happens you know this, if you know the story. But this is what takes place. We hear the word of God, and now we have, to, we have to establish it in our own lives. We have to establish the word of God. We have to settle it on earth. The, the scripture tells us in Psalms 119.89, it says, Forever, Lord, you shall hold your... Um, for, forever... Uh, the, the Lord will... I'm sorry. Forever, Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever, Lord, get that. Your word is settled in heaven. 
It doesn't say forever, Lord, your word is settled in heaven and earth. You notice that? That's left off. Because the settling of God's word on earth is the establishment of it in the hearts of people who hear the promises of God. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. It's only those who believe. That believe God's promise, believe God's word is applied to them. The same thing is of the other, other promises of God. In fact, remember when Jesus uh, was talking to the disciples, one of the most crucial moments as he was communicating to them, and he was saying, who do you say that I am? I, you know, he asked them, who do the other people say that? Who do you say that I am? And, 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 uh, and Peter stood up in his, his greatest moment, and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, uh, and Jesus said, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. It was my father in heaven. You, you, that's revelation that you have. That's, that's the word of God you have. And then he says, I, he says, upon this confession, I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, there's a, there's a very significant, right at this very crucial time in the discipleship of, of, um, of the apostles that Jesus was giving them some very important understanding and truth. And that portion of scripture, oftentimes com commentators don't even touch upon it. They just go right over it like it doesn't even exist. And the reason is because many don't understand that this principle it's, that is there. This principle in Scripture is clear, and you find it in other places throughout the Scripture, that a person takes the Word of God. It, the promise can be there, but they have to receive it, and they have to hold on to the Word of God. There are many of these great and incredible promises. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 6, a quote of Old Testament, um, you know, um, of, of the, the Ten Commandments, the law, um, Paul writes, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Now he's repeating it. It's obviously not just Old Testament. This is for, for us in the New Testament too. He says, if you honor your, your parents, there's this promise that comes with it, um, that, that it's going to be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you say, well, I know people who honored their mom and dad and, and uh, didn't seem like that promise for, you know, was for them. They, it didn't work for them. No, because it has to be established on earth. It has to be established in your heart. So you take that word and that promise. Let's say you have honored your parents and you go, you know, I have fulfilled the premise to this promise. Now you can turn around and go, Lord, when, when the enemy comes and, and throws lies at you and threats of he's going to kill you, and you can come before the Lord and say, Lord, here's your promise that it will be well with me. And I, I accept that. I take that by faith, and I will live long on the earth. Look at it, uh, Psalms 91. It says, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. He will be with me in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, this one has nothing to do with parents and so forth. This one has to do with he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. That's he who dwells with God in, in, in that secret place. God makes this promise to them. And, and 
He says, I will show, I will, I will show him sal- my salvation, and I will honor him with long life. You can take those promises. You establish them. They're, they're, the, God's word is established in heaven. You're establishing God's word in your life. You can go to verse 10. It says, no plague shall, shall come near your dwelling. That's a good one to take right now and to, to take and establish that in your life. I mean, it is a promise, but that promise is, needs to be held on to. You receive God's word and you speak God's word and then you hold on to God's word, the promises of God. Malachi 3 tells us that as we bring our tithes into the store, storehouse and our tithes and offerings, he says, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you that you don't have room enough to contain. You can grab onto that promise. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Okay, I take that word. I, I, that's God's word. I'm, set, I'm settling it in my heart. Lord, you have said, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. These are weapons that have been coming against me, Lord. You said they shall not prosper. And I thank you, God. I trust your word. I trust your promises. I settle it. That's the second, that's the next point, and that is this. Settle God's promise on earth. Settle God's promise on earth. You take God's promises, God's word, you settle them in your heart, you're settling them on earth. This is the promise of God, and I believe it, and I hold to it, you see. Then, and then the, the, the next part of the story, of course, many of you know, um, the children of Israel, Moses cries out to God. God says, stop crying out. Just go over, take the rod, you know, bring it to the waters. The water parts. The children of Israel go through. And the chariots of Egypt, the Egyptian army comes in. They get bogged down in the mud. And then God closes the water and the enemy is destroyed. And just like God says, you'll see them no more. They would see them no more. God fulfilled that. And and then the next chapter, chapter 15, the entire chapter is worship. It's about, they're singing to the Lord. In fact, it starts off like this in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So what are they doing? Well, they're dancing, and they're singing, and they're praising the Lord, that whole chapter. They've come all the way through. They look, their enemies have been defeated, and now they're rejoicing again. This seems like a pattern, right? They're, they're, They're grateful. They have boldness when they come out of Egypt, and they're praising the Lord, and then then the enemy comes and they're distraught and they're fearful and they're anxious and they're, you know, they're angry and, and then God delivers them again and then they praise the Lord. Now, th- there's nothing wrong. In fact, it is good to praise the Lord when God does good things. And when God, pray, when God is, you know, gives you victory and you come on the other side, that's a great time to praise the Lord. And so you praise him and you thank him for what he did. But you know what? There is a principle, a secret, that I believe God wanted the children of Israel to learn before. And that is, that is that you don't have to wait till after the victory to praise the Lord. You can praise the Lord in advance for the victory. And I believe what God is trying to teach them 
a lesson that they never quite got. And because when they ended up getting, you know, in a few weeks, they ended up over uh, at the, the edge of the promised land. And they would face giants. They, they would, at least in their mind, they, the, the spies went out and they saw giants. And at this point, they could not, they could not have the faith necessary to move forward because they were have to, going to have to, in this case, actually go to battle, but trust that God would be with them and take care of them. And they didn't have enough faith to do that. And if they would have learned this, the principle here, maybe when they got to the promised land, that would have been the time to just praise God for the victory. Then when they heard about the giants, that's the time to begin praising God for the victory. And to see in advance, you see, instead of looking down that valley, so to speak, and seeing the enemy coming, they would have looked up and seen the victory ahead of time. And look on the other side. And begin to praise God, begin to sing unto the Lord, begin to rejoice in God ahead of time. Listen, there's a secret to, um, to, to seeing your faith grow and defeating the enemy when you take and you learn to sing in advance of the victory. Learn to sing in advance of the victory. This is an important lesson to learn. I, I said at the beginning that the devil overplays his hand. He does it all the time. I've seen it in my own life at times. And I remember here, you know, what, nearly four years ago when, um, when I was in the hospital and, and p being paralyzed and didn't know, you know. And, uh, and at that point, you know, all, all the, the enemy down the road was saying, you'll never walk again. You'll never speak. You're never going to be in ministry again. There's never going to be, you know, you'll never preach another message. All those things are facing me, even death, facing me right down the line. But the enemy overplayed his hand. Because when he overplays his hand, what happens? Well, then, then there's a gathering. People start rising up and go, wait a minute, we can't just ignore this. See, when he underplays, people will ignore the problem. But when the problems get big, then people start rising up and, and praying. And of course, that's what happened for me. And the, the, not only the body of Christ supporting and all, but then standing up and realizing that I'm going to have to rise up in faith myself and I'm going to have to hold on to the promises of God. I can't, th this isn't a cold, right? It's something more. And so you, you, at that point, the devil overplays his hand. I believe he did. I believe he overplayed his hand. I believe God set a trap for him. And all of this, God is not sending out um, I don't believe God is sending out this worldwide wide plague to kill people. I believe the devil is out to kill and destroy because that's what his, the word says. But God, mo see, God, is God has more control than you think he does. God is completely in control. And God has set a trap for the enemy. And I'll tell you what's happening. And we're going to see this. And, you know, mark my word on this one. We're going to see a breakthrough. And we're going to see a breakthrough because we're going to see an army of prayers. In fact, this next week, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors who are going to be online praying around the world, not just the United States, around the world, praying against this, this virus, praying that God will break it, and praying. This is what's happening. There's a rising up. 
And not only those pastors, but then the churches along with it. And pretty soon, and what is happening is he overplayed his hand. Then I don't think he expected the kind of response that is happening all around the world. And people are praying and people are seeking God. And we're normally maybe a pocket, maybe a community would be praying for revival and breakthrough and so forth. We got the whole world praying. I'm telling you, Jesus, God has set a trap for the enemy. So stop looking down the valley in your life to the enemy and start looking up. Start praising him in advance. Just don't, don't even, you know, don't hesitate. Start praising him in advance. God has good things, great things in store. And folks, we look beyond, you know, look beyond. When you're talking about faith and that I'm, I'm you know, we're, we're believing God is he's going to protect us and he's going to watch over and he's going to make sure we're okay and all of that. That doesn't mean we, you know, jump off the, uh, the you know, the, the pinnacle of the temple like Jesus was tempted to do. We don't, we don't do that. We, we walk in, in, uh, in proper cautiousness, but you understand that you can be extremely cautious and you can still get this thing. It isn't, it isn't that. Well, we, we have to trust God. We have to take the promises of God and settle them in our heart. And then we then walk in faith. We walk in peace. We look not to the valley, but we look to God and we begin to praise him. And you live a different life. Then God begins to use you because now you can look outside of yourself and you can be used by God to touch a world that is in desperate need of him. So let's pray. And if you are watching and you are far from God, listen, this is the time for you. You can come to Christ right now. You can come to him and you can invite him into your life. You can surrender your heart to him. He will receive you and he'll take you and says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest to your soul. So Father, I pray, I thank you. And Lord, I pray for those, first of all, who are distant from you. And if you are that person, then I invite you to a simple prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died for me. You were buried and you conquered death. I receive you as my savior. I ask you to cleanse my soul and help me to follow you. And then I pray, Lord, for those who just have felt so, Lord, pressured. They felt they've felt so closed in in their life right now. And they feel like the enemy is so close and he's right down the road. I pray, Lord, that no longer will we see them. Lord, as you said to the Egyptians from this day forward, you'll never see him again. Lord, I pray that you would break the back of the enemy's attack and lies and deception and fears that he is bringing. Lord, because it's not the virus that is our enemy. It's the fear that he has been trying to attach to people's souls. And Lord, we just reject it in Jesus' name. And we determine to look beyond. We know who you are, Lord. And you are the great I am. And there is nothing impossible with you. Lord, I pray you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, let's, let's close in worship. Let's lift our hearts to our God. Let's praise him.